Well, we're going to pick up our series this morning in Acts. We're moving to the 13th chapter where we left off last week. The title of my message this morning is The God Who Sins. And we're going to be looking at how to, to live our life in a sending way. Living sent. That's the, the subtitle of the message. And I want to start out with these few little scriptures. I'm just going to read them. Just I want you to understand that this sending God has been sending for a long time. And we're part of it now in, in our series. It started actually in Genesis 45, verse 5. You know the story of Joseph, right? We know that story well. And his brothers had it out for him. And they wanted to kill him, but they ended up selling him into slavery. And we know how the story developed. Nothing seemed to go right for Joseph. But in the end, just a fascinating story as God saves his life and his brothers end up appearing before him. What would you have done if the people who tried to kill you now are standing before you? They don't know it's you and you have the power to do whatever you want to them. Well, you can imagine the brothers were a little concerned. But in verse 5 of chapter 45, we find this recorded for us. And Joseph said, now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And later in chapter 50 of the book of Genesis, verse 20, their father has died, and now the brothers think, okay, he has spared us because dad was still around. Now dad's gone, so I'll bet you he's going to lower the boom on us now. And they stand before him expecting the worst. And Joseph declares this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He was sending to save he was sending to save. Exodus 3, we touched on it off camera this morning. We know uh, Moses has appeared before the burning bush and God is getting ready to send him. And he speaks to him out of the bush and he says, now go for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Later in verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. He is ascending God. He's still sending. Paul in Romans 8, chapter, verse 3 through 4, declared this. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. God sent him. God has been sending all along. From the beginning, he's still sending. In John 4, verse 34, the New International Version. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. Who sent me. And to finish his work. He was one who lived as sent. In John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So I think you would agree with me that God has always been sending. But now I want you to think of it in terms, not just what he did in the early church, but what he's going to do for us, because I think God's still ascending God. And we're going to pick up our text today. It's going to be on the screen for you. 
Um, We're going to pick up chapter 3, verse 1, and you can read it along with me. Here it is. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manning, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping, some of your translations say while they were ministering, the Lord, and to, they were ministering and worshiping to the Lord and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work with which I have called them. Some interesting things in this text, don't you think? Starts out addressing this gathering as the church. The church in Antioch didn't have denominations, wasn't Baptist, wasn't Methodist, wasn't fake. It was just the, the church. Uh, the particular Greek word used there is ecclesia, ecclesia, ecclesia. It's not necessarily a Bible word. It was a word used in Greek often for whenever people gather. It could be a political gathering. <laughs> that would sound funny to us. Yeah, the church is gathering down at the Capitol for a political meeting. Yeah, no, no. It is any kind of gathering of people. But what happened when the church, Christ church was birthed, they took on that term because it was well known. But now it's not just any church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, I think it's fascinating, this list of names, don't you? It was quite a diversified group. There's Barnabas, who we met earlier, right? What's his name? Josias. Yeah, another name for Joseph. Yeah, that, that, he's called Barnabas. That's his nickname. He was the son of encouragement. Simeon called Niger. That means black. So he was probably somebody from the African continent. They were gathering together. Lucius of Cyrene. Monaean. This, now there's an interesting name. Who is he? Well, the scripture says that somehow he's related to Herod. In fact, in the original text, it suggests that he might have been a foster child raised up in the court of Herod. Which Herod is this? This is Herod Antipas. Who's he? He beheaded John the Baptist. He was the Herod that Jesus appeared to. Remember we talked about all these Herods last time we looked at chapter 12. Here he is. He's there and, and, and yet there's this guy who's connected to him and he appears to have been brought up with him. He was like a, a foster son. And I thought as I read that, it just intrigued me that here is Herod, this bloodthirsty leader who has the blood of the early church on his hands and and then here's the foster son. Raised in the same family, raised in the same home, but took two different paths. Do you see it? Do you see what God is doing as he gathers his people? They are a diversified group from many streams. He even takes, here's, a, here's one who was, could have followed the other path and been just like Herod. But he chose a different path and now he's a leader in the early church. I want you to know the decisions people make oftentimes can change their destiny. I think of myself, you know, I, I had two best friends growing up and uh, we were called the Three Musketeers and we did everything together. We stole cars together. We burglarized a pawn shop together. We were arrested together. 
And there, we were inseparable, and we got in trouble together, let me tell you. And I was thinking the other day, my two best friends, Dana, he's in the Jefferson State Penitentiary right now. And Tom, he's at the St. Louis Mental Hospital on the Maximum Security Award for the criminally insane. And Joe Voss is standing before you. We were all on the same path. What happened? Somebody chose a different path. And I want you to know, don't give up on anybody because God is calling a diversified group of people. And you might look at somebody and draw a line through their name. Don't do it. Don't do it because God has a way of redeeming people. And here the church, what a dynamic group it was. It was, it was. There was nothing like it, nothing. We're all classes of people, all different races, all different nations coming together. And in Revelations, it says that's what it's going to be like in heaven. And the church is, is just a shadow of that. And we see that here as they've, they've gathered together. Isn't it fascinating? And they're, and they're ministering to the Lord. Does that intrigue you at all? Uh, the NIV says worship. But a lot of your translators say, have you ever thought about what worship is? When we gather here, we, we sang today. Wasn't it? I love it, don't you? But, you know, we have a tendency to critique worship. And I think so we do that. Well, I don't like that music. And, and I, yeah, I pref- my, my preference is this. Uh, not that. And, uh, did you ever think about God likes things you don't like? Because it's not for you. It's for him. We're ministering to the Lord. Have you ever thought, would it sound strange for God to say to you, oh, thank you for ministering to me today? Do you ever think of yourself as ministering to the Lord? It is when we worship. It is what, it would change your worship if you understood this. It's not a song service. It's not for me, it's really something I'm offering up to him. And isn't it interesting, while they were doing that, the Holy Spirit spoke. I think we can expect it. Oh, that's for times past. No. Whenever you're ministering to the Lord, it opens the door to oftentimes things being spoken. And so let's continue on. Verse 3, it'll be on the screen. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And John was with them as their helper. Wow. The church now is sending. We're partakers of his nature. He's ascending God and we live ascending life. And Now we see the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity. Now the Holy Spirit's involved in sending. I think it's still going on. So I want you to take out your insert today. It looks just like this. And we're going to do an acrostic, all right? Make it real easy for you. We're going to talk about living scent. And and don't think about anybody else today. I want you to think about, this is for you, all right? Because we have a tendency to think, well, that person's being sent. No, I believe God is calling us all to live sent Lives And those who live sent lives are aware of four basic things that will be easy for you by using this acrostic. Uh, we're going to look at what people who live sent lives, what they are aware of. Here's the first letter, S. People who live sent lives, they know there's a sender. They know there's a sender. You can't be sent unless there's a sender, right? They, these here in this story were set apart by the Holy Spirit. 
I kind of I wonder what that felt like. I mean, the Holy Spirit, the church is gathering, right? Isn't that how we measure success? How many people we have gathered? Uh, I think in the early church, it was measured by how many were sent. Now, how many gathered? And, and I can remember one time a Sunday in, in, in Valley Center. I don't know if some of you who were there remember this, but we were going to help start another church down in Wichita, uh, down on Douglas Street. And so I, uh, I just made an announcement. I said, hey, if you feel led to go and help support this church, we want to send you. And several families stepped forward and went, but they're not the families I wanted to send. You know what I mean? Not them, Lord. No, no, I need to keep them, Lord. For they're, they're, our, they're the best, Lord. You think maybe the church felt that way when they said separate Barnabas and Paul? By the way, this is the last time we'll hear him referred to as Saul. He's now Paul from now on. Did he change his name? No. No, it's just his Greek name because that's going to reflect his ministry. He's now Paul. He's still Saul, but his Greek name is so I can imagine when the Holy Spirit spoke, it doesn't record it, but I wonder if there was anybody going, Lord, could there be somebody else you might send? Not these guys. They've been here for a whole year, remember, chapter 12? They were teaching for a whole year in the church. I imagine they had risen to a great place of prominence, and not them, but the Holy Spirit said, no, I have set them apart. I've set them apart for this. And so the sending begins. The Gospel of John records for us Jesus' priestly prayer in John 17. You need to read it off and on. It's the longest prayer that Jesus ever prayed. But in verse 18, Jesus is praying for his followers. He's praying for the church to come, and this is what he says. Lord, Father, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Oh, really? Sending. He's sending. And not just any sending, but I'm going to send them just like you sent me. John also records when Jesus was speaking to his disciples in John 20. Remember this? They're in the upper room there talking, and Jesus appears, and he says, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Is that all happening in our story? It is, isn't it? just like that. It's still going on. It's not just for this. For now, that's why it's Acts 29. It's still going on. John spoke of this sending God over 20 times in the book of John. He speaks of it more than anyone. He recognized that we have a sending God. To live sent, one must be willing to surrender to the sender. Exodus 4.13, go back to Moses. Did he put up some opposition to being sent? He did. Moses pleaded with God, Lord, please send anyone else. Not me. I have this problem with stuttering. Surely there's somebody else. Always remember, you've heard me say this before, God is sovereign in his sending, but your stewardship is connected to it. Your stewardship holds hands with God's sovereignty. God is sending sovereign. He sees what they do not see. But we must be willing to respond to the sender. So that's the first letter. If we're going to live sent lives, we have to recognize there is a sender. And we want to surrender to his will. Let's go to the next letter, the letter E. Empowered. Empowered. What kind of power? 
power to evangelize. Do you see it in the story? That's what's going to happen, right? You're, they're, going to, they're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's for everyone everywhere. Did we see it? Do you see the diversity in the leadership? Just the teachers and prophets, there was diversity there. I bet there was diversity that ran throughout the church. In Acts 1, 4 through 5, you, we started our series here, didn't we? Yeah, after they were eating, before Jesus ascended, what did he say? Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? And if you keep reading, we get to verse 8, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For what reason? You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's God's plan and purpose, and it involves sending and we're still part of that. Everybody, everywhere. The church is the answer today to all the division in the world, the, the racism, the classism. It doesn't exist in the church. There is no room for it in the church because we are united in Christ. This was unthinkable in that time period, and we need to realize God is still doing it today. In Acts 8, how many remember what happened in Acts 8 in our series? Philip. He's later called what? Philip the evangelist, right? And later in Acts, that's what he'll be called. And we encounter him. He's coming down from Jerusalem and, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says something really strange to him. You see that guy in the chariot over there, Philip? I want you to go alongside him. Go up next to him. And so he, in obedience, he, he says, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. So he goes, who is this guy? Well, it's the Ethiopian eunuch, remember, in the story. And he hears, overhears him reading the book of Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I unless somebody... And so he shares with him. And what's he end up doing to him? He baptizes him, does he? Hey, there's some water over there. What hinders you from being baptized? And he baptizes him. Who is this guy? Well, tradition says he was an, an official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He was... He was maybe the treasurer, we don't know, but he held a high position. He was coming from Jerusalem, so he was probably a Jewish proselyte. But Philip came to introduce him to Jesus, and he baptizes him. Then what happens? Well, it's crazy because Philip disappears, right? And what happens to the Ethiopian? He goes back home. People believe to this day that that encounter that Philip had changed an entire continent because the Ethiopian went back to his own country and the church was planted. That's, that's empowered evangelism. The Holy Spirit is directing and orchestrating. Have you ever had the experience? Have you ever had somebody on your heart? Or have you ever been walking into the grocery store and you just all of a sudden, somebody kind of glows in the dark? Maybe not, but you know, you, you say, man, I just, are you, you walk up to somebody, yeah, I got a burden for, I don't know. Could you even be bold to say, God sent me. God sent me. I just want to pray with you. Most people will let you do that. Do you believe that that's how God wants to reach people, that the Holy Spirit is involved? If we are living as people who are sent, 
then we live with the understanding that the Holy Spirit is going to work through us and minister to other people. Romans 15, 18 through 19, the Apostle Paul in the New International Version, he says this, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. He's accomplished through me, leading Gentiles to obey God but what, by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders. Why are there signs and wonders? There's signs so people will wonder. And they'll ask questions. That's what they're for. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. Not his, not his power. God's power. So from Jerusalem all the all way around, he, he, all over the continent, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I want you to know as a church, we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are for today. There's those who think they've passed. Uh, they were only present until the New Testament was accepted. But I, I, I believe nothing's changed for us. Acts 29. We are Acts 29. And I want you to know as a church. Now, you say, well, pastor, I, I, I don't know. What's that look like? Well, I believe God wants us to be open, open to the gifts of the Spirit, but not obsessed by them. Open, but not obsessed. There's sometimes you can, many times we pull back from it because we've seen all of the abuse or misuse, crazy stuff. You know, I don't want anything to do with that. Listen, misuse does not mean, it does not mean rejection. It means correction of use, all right? So be open, but not obsessed. I believe we can be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. I believe God can use you in supernatural ways. Anybody interested? But you got to put. You got to be sent. You got to be sent, and and not just out there trying to make a name for yourself. You know, I think God would use more people, but if He could trust you, God uses you, and you want to write a book, make money. You know, money's always been a, the Achilles' heel of the church, isn't it? And yet, it's important. Do you see? There's all that. There's a attention on it. But listen, we, you, I want you to be. Oh, and it's not just in this church service. That's where we've messed up. It's all about the church service. See, this is not the church. This is the building. The church, the building is, this is where the church gathers because the church is people, all right? It's people. It's not a building. And so the church can gather anywhere. And that means when you're at the grocery store or you're at, you're, you're at the getting tags on your car or whatever it is, I heard you had an encounter at the tag place, didn't you? Is that right? Am I right? Right there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with somebody you didn't even know was from this church. Isn't that something? Do you think God can orchestrate stuff? You don't really think it's you, do you? You know, if you believe this, you could get out of bed in the morning with a spring in your step. Because you're saying, God, how are you going to use me today? Because I believe in empowered evangelism. I don't think it just happens. I don't think it's just by my intellect. I think everyone, everywhere is available to the ends of the earth. How are we going to do it? We're going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is going to minister through you. Listen, I keep saying what Susan said so true. You know, live in expectation, but don't define it. Because you'll have unfulfilled expectations if you do. Well, I think God's going to do this. He's going to act this. You, you guys keep trying to put God in a box. Do you know why God never healed the same way? In Scripture, he always did it different because he knows us. He knows me. He knows Pastor Joe is a formula guy with acrostics, and I'm going to figure this thing out, and you're going to follow five easy steps, and it's going to happen. But that's not true. 
you got, listen. Never say never. Believe God to work it, but we got to move on. You ready for the next letter? N, here it is. They're not, people who live sin are not of this world. They're not of this world. We're going to return to Jesus' priestly prayer. Remember chapter 17 of John? We just took one verse. Do you want to know the verses around it? They're very important. John records this prayer for us. Verse 13, Jesus says to the Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world hates them. Why? For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And we say that a lot. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. You know a better way to say that? I'm, I'm sent to the world, but I'm not of the world. Yeah, First Peter 2. That's what he said. He said, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. He's telling us how to live in this life, but we are, we're in here, and I encourage you, be involved in your life, but no, keep your tent peg shallow. You've been sent. You're not at home here. You're not at home. Philippians 3.20. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Anybody on board? He will make our weak mortal bodies. He will take them and change them into glorious bodies just like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Do you see it? Some of your translators in 1 Peter, this will get a conversation going. He calls us aliens. You, you want to get a conversation Go. I'm not from here. I'm an alien. <laughs> One of two things will happen. They'll either run away from you or they'll say, let's talk. Uh, I've never met an alien before. Yep, yeah. This is not my world. I'm, I've been sent. I've been sent here. I'll tell you, that'll open doors. You go to, I've been sent. Keep your tent peg shallow. Here's our last letter. You ready? It's probably the most important, the letter T. Trust God. People who live sin, trust God. Especially when times are hard. Our first scripture, you know, right? You probably got it memorized. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. The Hebrew word for trust there means to cling to. To cling to. I want you to think about this for a minute. I just had this thought the other day from, from my own life. I was talking to Connie about it. I said, Connie, if we're clinging to God, then we're not clinging to anything else. Because you can't cling to two things. I mean, think of it in terms of wrapping your arms around him and not letting go. That's the image, isn't it? And if you're doing that, 
You can't hang on to other things. He wants us to trust him. Isn't that the bottom line of everything? Isn't that for you right now and the issues of your life, it's all about am I going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? C.S. Lewis in his book, I think it's called Observing Grief, he, he, he had a little paragraph in there that spoke to me. He said, that, he said what you believe in, he said, because we say we believe a lot of things, right? Yeah, I believe that, I believe that. He said, but when it comes, when it's tested, when your belief is tested, he used the word life and death. He said, it's like trusting in a rope. He said, if you use the rope to tie up a package and mail it, you trust in that rope. But he said, what if that same rope you have to hang on to over, a, over a, a, the side of a mountain, a crevice, and the only thing you have is that rope? Now it's life and death. And we find out, do you really trust that rope? I had thought this morning, it wasn't in my notes, but I remember, some of you remember the story of a man named Blondin. He was known uh, for crossing the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Anybody here ever done anything like that? It would be pretty scary, wouldn't it? Except he, had a, he kicked it up a notch. Crowds would come to watch him because he would take a wheelbarrow and push it across the falls, and everybody would come to watch him do this. And then he would put bags of potatoes in, in the wheelbarrow and he'd push them back and people would applaud and clap. And they'd come from all over the world to watch Blondin push the wheelbarrow across the falls because everybody thought he was going to fall eventually, but he never did. And one day, there were some visitors from England. The Duke of Newcastle came to watch Blondin do this presentation. And so, sure enough, just like he always did, he walked, pushed it across the falls, put the potatoes in it, brought it back, and then he turned to the crowd. He said, after you've seen me do what I've done today, how many of you believe that I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and push him across the falls? Everyone went, we believe. And he turned to the Duke of Newcastle. He said, sir, would you get into the wheelbarrow? And he declined. No one would get into the wheelbarrow, but they all believed. They all believed that he could do it. What do you believe? We believe from a distance things. Am I the only one who sometimes struggles with trusting God? Sometimes I struggle, and I'm the preacher. God, I want to trust you. I really do, but it's hard. But see, people who live sent lives, faith and trust becomes a foundation. And you're going to see it in Acts as these many give everything to follow Christ and, and to share this gospel to the ends of the earth. It would require great faith and trust because there's times you will not understand. There's times that things will not seem clear to you. Are you going to trust or not? In 1 Peter 5, we know this scripture well, right? talks about God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble, right? And he says, Peter says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Everybody in? I'm in. Then he says, cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your cares on him. 
because he cares for you. Anybody struggle with that? Can you trust God with the cares of your life, the problems of living? He goes on. We always stop there because that's the verse you put on your refrigerator. But the next verse tells you more. When do we do these things? He says, be alert, sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat, to devour. And that what is it? Res- What's he saying? It's those times when the enemy is attacking us, when we have a tendency to want to draw back. Can we still trust him? That's the time we cast all our cares on him. I'm casting my cares on you because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's coming. I'm just going to trust you. And in verse 9, here it is, your stewardship. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in what you believe. Boy, it's easy to stand up and say, I believe. It's another thing to be under attack and say, I believe. I'm going to trust God through this. Yeah, but everything's contrary to hope. Yeah, I'm still going to trust him. It's the bedrock of everything. He says, resist him, firm in the faith, be firm, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Here's the last verse I want to leave with you. You know it, Psalms 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's easy to trust in horses and chariots. It's easy to trust in political systems. It's easy to trust in your finances, your 401k. It's easy to... Do you ever trust people? Do you know I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says to trust people? Here's the reality. Listen, I don't trust myself. I'm not called to trust people. I'm called to trust God. I'm called to love people. Don't get those confused. We flip it. We're going to trust people and love God. No, you love people and you trust God because I will let you down. People will let you down. And it's easy. And and I want to put my trust and confidence in things that are predictable. How about you? You will be tested. In Acts, it will be life and death. That's when you find out what you really trust. If you're going to live sent, then you will live with the confidence and trust that when things are hard, I'm going to cling to God. Not, not remember, I may not understand it. I may not be able to figure it out. I can't even tell you why, but I'm clinging to God. I'm going to trust him. Who needs to hear that today? You're waiting for things to get to a place where you can understand. You think maybe you see a light at the end of the tunnel. What if there is no light at the end of the tunnel? Can you still cling to him? Because if you cling to him, you won't cling to anything else. We're going to prepare to come to the table this morning. In Colossians, the first chapter. This is wonderful. This will position you. Through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. How many of you reconcile your checking accounts every month, do you? Three of you? My wife loves that time every month. 
No, she doesn't. Because see, I'm the kind of guy, I will stay up all night to find that penny because it's got to reconcile. You know what reconcile means, right? To bring into agreement. To let your bank statement come in agreement with your checking account statement. And then they agree. It's a wonderful feeling. <gasps> Especially when you got an error and you actually find it. And then they agree. And they reconcile. Now my wife's the kind of person, she'll say, round it off. We're close. It's good enough. Who here is close but good enough? <laughs> Much more of you. Yes. God's not rounding it off. He's bringing us into perfect agreement with him through the cross. That's what repentance is, to change our minds, to come into agreement. He's not wanting you to get close. It's a perfect thing, and it's only in Christ. It's only in Christ. Verse 21, you were his enemy separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. You're reconciled to him. If you're not today, say, uh, it's not reconciled. You're weighing your, your life and what God expects. Today's your day. God's going to call you into a place of reconciliation with him. He's going to do it. He's balancing the books. He's coming as an act of faith to say, I believe what this represents. I believe it is by the blood of Jesus. It is by his cross that I am reconciled to him. It's not by my works. It's not by any good thing I've done. It's because of God's goodness and God's righteousness. And now when I receive that and he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's pretty good news. We're here today to celebrate that. And you say, well, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not. Yeah, I understand. I understand. God wants to help you with that. He's come to me. And he doesn't just save us by grace so we can just live our life. Like, no, he's going to change you. He's, he's changing me. I'm old. He's still changing me. I think I'm going to run out of time. Before God will ever look at me and go, okay, Joe, you got it. No, my perfection is in Christ alone. When I stand before him someday, he's going to seek the sacrifice of Christ. He's going to say, you are reconciled. You have been brought into agreement through the death of Christ and through his blood. So, Father, we come to this table and we celebrate it and we remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you take the cup and bread, it's important to keep reading verse 22. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You believe that? It takes faith to believe that. He's brought me into his presence and I am holy. Holy means to separate. I've been separated unto him. How many of you look in the mirror and think, man, I'm holy? You think the opposite. I'm not holy. 
Your spouse, my spouse knows I'm not holy. My children know I'm not holy. I'm not. Yes, you are holy. You must declare it because God has put you in that position. It is his work in you. There are three levels of holiness. There's the holiness that God declares over your life. When he called you, you're holy. He separated you unto himself. Then there's a level two holiness, Romans 12, where you present your body to God, holy and acceptable. Isn't that what it says? Holy. How can I present my body? Because God made you holy. You are, pres- you are able to come into his presence. But the third level of holiness is our problem, isn't it? Living holy. That's the hard part. I don't do too good at that. The children of Israel, they were called a holy nation. Didn't seem very holy to me. No, they were holy. God set them apart for his purpose. So he kept working. So the living holy, that's something we will, maybe right now, you need something you need to pray about because that third level thing is going on. And, but you will never live holy if you don't understand level one and level two because that's what makes it possible for us to live holy. Amen? Amen? Father, as we come to this table, we take this cup and bread, and we are grateful because we stand before you without fault. We are not perfect, but you are perfect. And your work is perfect in us. Would you help us accept that and embrace it? Because that's how we'll live holy. Because we won't be thinking about it all the time and wrestling with it all the time. We'll just surrender to you. And, and we will love you. And you said if we love you, we will keep your commandments. So, Lord, draw us into that intimate place where we live holy, not because we have to, but because we want to. It's no longer duty. It's delight. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a challenge this week. Pretty simple. I want to challenge you to love God and live sent. Yes, right. You're going to love God. How can you not love God? He loves you. Look, we read him. Look what he's done. Lord, I love you. I love you. In fact, I'm returning your love back to you, Lord. And because of that, I'm going to live sent. Because I'm God sent. I'm God sent. Live this week that way. Start in your family. Did you know that God gave you to each other? Husbands, wives. Did you know that God gave you your children? Some of you are adopted. Do you know how special you are? Somebody chose you. My mom was stuck with me. She didn't have a choice. (laughs) The thought of somebody saying, I want to adopt you? You really? Yeah. That's what God said about you. I'm adopting you into my family because I've chosen you. Why did he choose us? So that he could love us, we could love him, and he could send us. Acts 29, we're being sent. Oh, we'll, we'll lay some hands on people. We'll send them out. But you're all sent. Okay, don't be thinking it's somebody else. It's you. And I want you to live your... When you go to work this week, show up knowing you're sent. When you shop at the grocery store this week, push your cart down the aisle knowing you're sent. When you're gassing up your car and somebody pulls in beside you to gas up their car and you feel this burning in your heart, be ready. Be ready. You're sent. Try it out. Hey, mister, God sent me. He sent me. He wants you to know he loves you. Be ready. 
that's why you're here. Otherwise, why would we be here? It's because we serve ascending God. Amen? If you need prayer today, I'll stay behind. Love to pray with you. If you took communion for the first time, please come. Let me pray with you. I want to walk with you. If you need healing in your body, Melissa, Steve are going to come. They'll be standing right over here. If you've never had anybody speak into your life, this couple, I believe God will minister through them. Amen? So take it. Don't, don't walk out of here and miss it. When God, Be patient. Sit in the front row and wait. We might be a while, but we'd love to pray with you. It doesn't have to be pastor to praise with you. I mean, you're all sent. You're all chosen. You're all God's children. Brothers and sisters, amen? Sons and daughters, that's what we are. Father, I pray your blessing upon my friends. We're looking forward to coming back next week. But for till then, we love you, Lord, and we're going to live sent. Send us. Order our steps this week and let us be aware of it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Go in God's love, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Read ahead next week. Be ready to pick up where we left off. Amen. God bless you. Love you.